welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. That felt good. Uh, we have a, <laughs> I'm feeling it, Dr. Shock. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 90. And on Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-host tonight is... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. Welcome, David. I'm glad you're here on the show. (laughs) Thank you. Yep. Good to be here. So we have no idea where Wolfman Josh is tonight. It's very weird. He has gone dark. He's like completely off the grid. I've been trying to track him down. And you know, Dave, honest to goodness, sometimes he does some dangerous documentary filmmaking. Yeah. And he's kind of hush-hush about a lot of it, actually. And so, we never know. He could be trapped in somebody's basement. As we speak, yeah. Yeah, and and like, we wouldn't know because he doesn't give us a heads up on where he is. So, I hope that Josh is okay. He may show up later. He may not. But I'm just grateful you're here, Dave. And in fact, I want to thank Josh and Dave again publicly for covering last week or last episode, episode 89. You guys did a fantastic job on the horror shorts episode and the interview with Nicholas Peterson again. I just, I loved it. It was exceptional. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, it was, uh, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to talk about the, uh, the horror shorts. I don't have a lot of experience with horror shorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of good to, to discuss them and, and sort of get it out there. And, yeah. um, I know Josh has, has delved into them a little, a little more deeply than I have. So it was, it, but it was fun to, to discuss them. And I did get to you know, bring a few up, including the one by um, uh, Joel, Joel Roberts, podcasting friend. Yeah. Yeah. Forgotten flicks and uh, retro movie geek yep. podcast. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Joel is amazing. I love that guy. And, um, but, but seriously, I just wanted to say thank you again for covering. I was actually being a guest on the geek cast live podcast. It was a really cool show. And I couldn't miss it. And the other reason, Dave, it seems like I kind of duck out on episodes where I know embarrassingly little about the topic. So yeah, like, <laughs> well, I, 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 you, you might have even known as much, if not more, than me about horror shorts. So, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, I'm not very schooled in them myself. But, uh, but it was good. It well, was good. I, I mean, this will be the first of many statements tonight where people are gonna like want to beat me up. But honestly. I'm just not a short film man. I mean, I can appreciate it, but I'm more of a feature film man. And I know that there's artistry and there are so many things to admire. And in fact, I learned a great deal from episode 89. But um, it's it's not always my thing. But anyways, I'm happy to be back tonight. Uh, I I feel like um, I'm, I'm drunk with power again at the helm of horror movie podcasts. I feel like... Uh, I'm just going to go nuts. Oh, one last thing on episode 89. You can see how talented I am at steering the ship. I also want to give a <laughs> shout out to our friend Juan. Juan's artwork. Okay, he did the horror shorts artwork in that episode. Wow, that was phenomenal. I, I, I was. I love that. So if people want to check out Juan and give him a shout out, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at the Reaper of Soul. And that's S-O-U-L in uh, not Seoul, Korea. 
because that would be creepy. But anyways, <laughs> um, and you can actually buy these shorts. We've got a link in the show notes for episode 89. So when you check that out, um, that's actually something I, I might invest in those shorts to be yeah. serious. I, I just fun. wonder, since my wife's not a horror fan, I wonder if she will think I'm sexy in them. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. Anyways, oh. if people can't tell, this is a Frankensteinian type of episode. This is the type of episode where we do this random mixture of horror-related topics and horror movie reviews, all kind of weirdness. Just whatever we want, Dr. Shock, because, yep. you know, we can do that. and We can. And you know what? I did want to throw something out there real quick. Tell it. I did want to wish everybody, I'm um, guessing this episode will hopefully be up by then, mm-hmm. uh, wish everybody a happy Convoy Day, oh. which is which is this this Monday. If anybody's familiar with the song, um, uh, Convoy, uh, by C.W. McCall, it starts out, it's, you know, uh, was the dark of the moon on the 6th of June is the first line of that, uh, of that song. Oh, wow. So I, I, as a group of us trying to, you know, get get it, start up a uh, start it up as, as like a recognized uh, day, convoy day. Oh my goodness! Well, you know, I'll tell you. And well, that's... All right, to be fair, to be fair, it's not a group of us. It's really just me. But okay. I'm trying to make it a thing. <laughs> I'm trying to make it a thing. All right. Is it always on June sixth, or is it? Well, like... it would be because that's that's the first line of the song was the dark of the moon on the sixth of June. Okay, I just wanted to make sure it wasn't one of those weird things where it's like. It's the first Monday in June. No, you know, like, no, like, yeah, like one of those bizarre holidays where you got to try to figure out when it is. Or right, okay, well, you know, but no, this is this is always going to be on the sixth of June, or we even get it in the calendar. Look at some of the stupid things they got in the calendar that, anymore. It's the worst, you know. And it, I, I don't, I don't see why they couldn't throw Convoy Day out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, my thing is, I actually, I'm a dates guy, meaning like dates tend to stick in my head, and I have. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of associations with June 6th, it turns out. Um, for one thing, that was when Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise movie, um, some people know it as Live, Die, Repeat, but mm-hmm. that, that released on June 6th, and that was a Friday oh. in 2014. And actually, that same day, Dr. Shock, this is a horribly sad story, I knew this little boy, um, and he actually got run over by a garbage truck that day and died on June oh, 6th. Geez. So um, he's like five years old, the cutest little kid ever. So every June 6th, you know, <clears throat> I think of that kid. And every time I see like anything about Edge of Tomorrow, I think of that kid. It's a So I'm glad you gave me a happier association now, Convoy Day. The Convoy Day, yeah. Well, thanks for bringing it down, too. Yeah, I know. Well, that's what I, I do. It sort of makes Convoy Day seem a little, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not, not, what am I trying to say? Not, like, not too vital. Yeah, that's right. Well, we should actually call it, um, that, that little boy's name, he was, um, Italian from an Italian family. His name was Giacomo. Um, and, uh, so we could call it Giacomo. Was this Day. long ago or? It was in 2014. Yeah, June oh, 6, wow. 2014. Um, he was riding his bike and he was following behind the garbage truck. Talk about real life horror. And the garbage truck turned right and the little boy kept going straight and he went right under the tires and it was heartbreaking. Absolutely. That's awful. Yeah, that's really a shame. Yeah, but um, anyway, so it, it would also be happy Giacomo Day because that kid was okay. freaking awesome. Anyways, um, I do have happier news and I'm sure that by now everybody is well aware of this. In fact, 
This might be, I'm bumming that Josh isn't here because this is something that he would know probably tons more about and be very excited about. But I saw on slashfilm.com, one of my favorite movie type websites, um, and, and they also, by the way, were reporting from Bloody Disgusting, so it's not like they had the scoop. But the headline was, Halloween sequel executive produced by John Carpenter. Fi- heard of that. Yes, I was, when I was on Land of the Creeps the other day, Greg Amortis brought this up, obviously, being a big yes. fan of it. Yes. He was thrilled about it, John Carpenter reattaching himself to the to the Halloween franchise. But then it's also, I think he said Bloomhouse is involved. Blumhouse, yeah. And in fact, Blumhouse, yeah. You're, you're Blumhouse. correct. So here, here's the story, um, according to Bloody Disgusting and SlashFilm.com. And I'm sorry if everybody, this is old news, but we're a bi weekly show and we do what we can. So right. um, it reads that Bloody Disgusting reports Oculus director Mike Flanagan is in talks to direct the Halloween remake. Nothing official has been revealed yet, but for now, it sounds like he's the man for the job. And so, um, now, a a lot of people actually appreciated Oculus. Some people argue that it is an underrated horror flick, and I thought it was well executed. I think it was well done. It was like a six range for me. Did you see that one, the Killer Mirror movie? I haven't seen it yet. Um, Do I even own it? I think I might even have it here. I'm I'm sure you do. (laughs) But I I did not see it yet. My only concern... With, with Blumhouse is they usually shoot for PG-13. And I don't think you can ha- you can do a Halloween movie right now with PG-13. Well, yeah, yeah. And um, I don't think they listened to my advice in that one episode, so I'm worried about that too. But right. <laughs> it yeah. says, uh, Legends Never Die. After years of Dimension Films trying to figure out what to do with the Halloween franchise, the company lost the rights to the iconic oh. horror series. Let's let's first of all talk about how dumb that was. Like, how right. could you lose the rights to Halloween? And, and by the way, I'm how- guessing they. I'm guessing it was to the point that they just didn't care anymore. Wow. You know, Rob Zombies had come out, and that had, how long ago was that now? Like 2007 and 2009, right? Yes, yeah. So you're going back a ways, and they were kind of. I mean. Has Dimension had them the whole? They haven't had them the whole time. I I'm not one of those kind of guys that that knows that information, uh-huh. but I'm sure. And I'm not sure most either. The Maybe they have. Does. Maybe they have, but I don't. I I I wonder. Does that mean that um? Oh, what's his name? Son had had the rights to them, and I wonder if he lost them. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of frustrating because honestly, don't you feel like when you hear something like that, Doctor Shock? Aren't you like, Coach, put me in? put me in right, it's like yeah. guys i'm not a filmmaker i know but like i feel like i could write an effective halloween script i mean i do i how hard is it to get michael myers right i mean i i don't think it's <laughs> do you dr shock am well, i talking crazy i mean it depends i think i think the second rob zombie movie had some issues in that department with with getting the the Michael Myers right, you know, with the whole white horse, yes, and other nonsense and garbage. <laughs> Don't put um, any damn white horses in. That, yeah, other than <laughs> that, it was not a bad. It it was. I think I did even come in with a recommend on it. It was not a bad movie. It's not like it was terrible. Yeah, it and- was just. It just had some elements to it that were just kind of like, oh god, um, right. But so I guess you can get. I guess it's possible to get. Michael Myers wrong, but I think if you're any sort of familiarity with the with the series, uh, 
you know, you should probably, you, you probably, yeah, I guess you could probably do it. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like um, a horror fan who knows and appreciates the Halloween franchise could at least do a respectable job. Now, here's the thing. I've said this before. Jason Blum isn't necessarily a horror fan per se. He likes the genre because it's inexpensive to produce and it's profitable. However, a lot of times he will, you know, tap people to you know, who kind of know what they're doing. I feel like Mike Flanagan could do a competent job. You know, I, I, that's not the worst news I heard or anything. So, but no, and it's, it's good that they, it's good that they stepped in and they're, uh, you know, that, that they're, that they're giving, that they're, uh, you know, putting the money up for it. That's great. Uh, yeah. You know, that's so I'm glad to hear that it's, it's going to happen and that John Carpenter's name is, is back in, uh, is back associated with it. Uh, like uh, the only concern would be the PG thirteen, and maybe they won't. Maybe this will be one where they say, "Hey, you know what? Well, we we kind of we kind of realize the, the the need here, so maybe they won't go that route." I love that you brought that up because you're exactly right. A ton of the Blumhouse movies are PG thirteen because for Jason Blum, it is all about the money, and I'm I'm not dissing. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know, that's what it is. So I'm sure the fans out there have heard all this. And, and in fact, we've heard this many, many years now in a row about talking about the next Halloween coming and then it never does. But as of right now, Blumhouse and Miramax are aiming for a 2017 release, but no date has been set specifically. Wow. Yeah, it's still pretty early. 2017, yeah. it gives you enough time. I mean, I, that gives you plenty of time to get this thing written and, and shot. And Okay, well, that's good. That's good. I'm guessing it will. You know, let's be honest. It's good. I'm sure they're going to shoot for the Halloween season. Right. It would only make sense. Yeah, I mean that. That makes uh, that absolutely. But however, because it is such a profitable franchise, and because Jason Blum seems to like to do this, he may try to put it as a summer movie blockbuster in 2017. Uh, maybe. Perhaps. Perhaps it's it's possible, but I think I don't know. I just see it more as a. Uh, as October movie because he has uh, he has released other films in October has he not? Oh yeah, yeah. But I just and, and it's obviously more logical to you know release it around Halloween, of course. But I'm just saying he he does like the summer months of late, and mm-hmm. so we'll see what happens. So everybody, um, let us know your thoughts about this news about Blumhouse being affiliated with. Mm-hmm. The Halloween, um, and then just to, just a point. I don't think that it's impossible to make an effective horror film PG thirteen. I think correct. it's been done. Yes, I just don't know with with Halloween if you can if if it could be done. And I don't, I'm not even sure if all of them were rated R. I'm assuming they were. I, I mean, obviously, so. the, obviously, the last two, the uh, <laughs> Rob Zombie ones were. Yeah, but. I mean, even going back, and I'm the you know the first one was. I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. I'm pretty sure all of them were. Yeah. Were rated R, uh, just because it's kind of what you need. Uh, well, not. I mean, you just you need a certain level of of violence and and gore in mm-hmm. it, you know. And and yeah, I guess because so, that was right around the time where the MPA was cracking down on all that stuff. Well, yeah, and even even the very first Halloween, even though it isn't. Um, exceptionally gory or anything like that. There's not a ton of gore really to speak of. It is very disturbing. I mean, when you're right. when you're pinning somebody up against a wall with a knife, 
Like, yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, that's graphic, but, um, so we'll be hopeful and, yes, uh, Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. And with John Carpenter involved, uh, you know, he's going to, he's going to hopefully do right. I'm and I'm not hopefully, I'm sure he will do right by it. So that's great news. Yeah. Yeah. So let's hope it, it takes this time and, they get it out there. I have a feeling, though, with you know, with Jason Blum on it, I think it will get produced. But um, your concerns are well founded for the PG. That's just, yeah, just 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 a concern. And again, maybe uh, I don't know. No, I just can't see it. I was just saying, maybe you could do an effective Halloween at PG thirteen. I don't know. I just don't see it though. Yeah, I mean, one could, but uh-huh. but should we? No, right. I don't think so. No, is it right? Okay, right. so. I'll, um, speaking of movies, I wanted to kind of like tell people about how dedicated I am. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, because like you know how I missed like the last couple of shows. Well, tonight, as we're recording right now, Doctor Shock, guess what is playing locally? They're doing a dive-in movie, dive-in movie where they they have a swimming pool here in like Linden, Utah. Uh huh. And, and in the swimming pool, you know, they're inviting everybody to come in and bring rafts and everything. And then they're showing um, Jaws. Oh, nice. What That's do you think awesome. of that? That is awesome. <laughs> I was so tempted. I wanted to take my wife, but I'm like, you know what? There is no way I'm missing another recording of HMP. And plus, the other thing is there are going to be a lot of jack wagons there. Um, oh, kind of wow. like, you know, when the... <laughs> <laughs> when the jaws attacks and stuff, you know they're gonna be like causing a ruckus and commotion, and that's part of the fun. And if you were doing this uh-huh. with your friends, you know, at, at your friends' pool or whatever, at your own pool, that'd be fun. But with a bunch of strangers, that'd get annoying. And I just don't think you're gonna be able to hear the movie, so I skipped it's it. It's possible. I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's a cool idea as to whether it's the the uh, perfect setting for a movie. I'm not sure, but it's a good idea, and it would be interesting to see. Well, I just, I I love that kind of thing. And this actually segues into my next little tidbit here. I love the idea of, I mean, now we have virtual reality and all this stuff where it's really putting you where you feel like you're in that world. Well, I love the idea of watching films in such a way that you do feel incorporated in the environment. Like, for example, do you remember when Josh told his story about the first time he ever saw the Blair Witch Project. That, yes. He actually watched cool. that in the woods. That was pretty, that's... Which is freaking that's pretty awesome. pretty brave. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty brave. And Carl... And, and, mm-hmm, go ahead. And they and they have like, um, I know that they do like these, um, I, I don't know if they've done it in a while, but years ago, and I know that the Ain't It Cool News was involved with them, they would have the road show. Where they yes. would like, they would go to Monument Valley and they would show... Um, or they would go to that one area where they had that played a, a integral part, and they would show uh, closing counters of the third kind, you know, in front of that mountain that That's... that it's that it served <laughs> there. And I know that they had done one for yes. Jaws. Um, not sure where they had where they had done that, but they they had done that. They had taken it on the road, and wherever it was, that's where they would. That you know, in that area, they would go to the area where the movie was set or filmed or whatever, and they would. Um, show i would have loved to have gone to some of those yes that would have been great i love stuff like that so i mean i'm i'm on board for that kind of thing as well um and and in fact like uh carl on movie podcast weekly when we were talking about this jaws dive in movie i mean it's cool they're doing it at a pool but carl said 
um, you know, screen it at the ocean where you're in the, the ocean watching it somehow. Right. Then call me. And I'm like, yeah, that would be way more in- intense. I remember one time, do you remember that, um, that movie? It's not horror, but it's called Hidalgo. It's that horse movie. Oh yeah. Vigo mm-hmm. Mortensen. Okay. It was from 2004. Anyway, that is set in like the Sahara desert. Right. And so yes. when I went to see that movie, it was like spring when that came out and it was actually a pretty hot day outside. So everybody like was already warm. And then in the theater, they didn't have the air conditioning on. The heat was on. It was stuck and broken. And it was like 90 degrees inside the theater. So (laughs) I actually, uh, people were complaining and leaving. I was loving it because I was watching this movie set in the desert. And I felt like I was in like the Sahara. It was amazing. So That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that was kind of a serendipitous experience. So so here here's an idea I've been kicking around. I'm sure I mean probably the listeners out there, Dr. Shock, they probably do this kind of thing already. So don't make fun of me if um this is something you've done your whole life. But I, I just think it would be kind of fun if we had some kind of a little um horror movie podcast, uh extreme horror watching event <laughs> everybody i want everybody to be safe nothing crazy but for example like you know when i when i watch horror movies it's fun of course to watch with the lights off and i think everybody does that but what if uh-huh. like i have a, a creepy basement for example it's unfinished there are a bunch of windows down there and um it's kind of you know cellar like you know it's creepy uh-huh. in my basement at night and um, I'm just saying, so like, what if, what if I were to watch a horror movie down there by myself in the pitch black in the creepy basement with no lights on? Wow. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about that? I mean, I mean, what, uh, or watch it in the woods or wherever it creeps you out. Maybe it's your attic, you know, like, uh-huh. like what do you think about this? Yeah, I think it's, uh, to mix it up a bit, I think it would be a good idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, just to just to see, just to, to give it a try. I mean, you're right. There are certain areas that that lend themselves to to watching horror movies. Yeah, because because as I think about it, I I feel a little bit giddy inside, and I'm not saying I'm a chicken, but I'm just saying, <laughs> like for example, I have um, I, I have stairs in my house, and like you know, wa- like watching something like uh, Juan on the stairs uh, in the dark. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Like, Cause I got I, when I, the way my setup in my front room is, is I have a couch and then behind there is sort of a pathway that leads out into the other rooms. And then the stairs is behind that. So man, <laughs> as I was sitting there watching you on, I just kept looking back at them stairs. Yeah. Cause it was behind me. They exactly. were there to my back. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. And, um, uh, and our buddy, our buddy, Peter, <laughs> our buddy Peter has a great story about that from uh, Forgotten Flicks, uh, Peter. Yes, yes. Um, man, he he has a hilarious story about watching Juan and then like the couch was there next to the stairs. And Peter, I'm sorry if I butcher this. He's a listener to the podcast, so he'll hear this eventually and set me straight. But I guess I guess his back is to the stairs. And then, like, you know, uh-huh. it's kind of, the wall is kind of cut away. Well, he was watching Juan, and then, <laughs> like, right during that, his wife, like, peeked her head 
over the stairs at him and said, Hey, Peter, you know, like to talk to him. <laughs> he said, Oh, boy. He had a heart attack. He that almost, would do it for me, too. <laughs> he almost died because, you know, her head came out. Too. Anyway. Wow. I, I think that's a super cool idea. Um, let me know if people want to do that. Maybe we can put together some kind of a, a game or a like, you know, you do the experience and then you write in and tell about how it went and if you could handle it. I mean, part of that, part of it would be like doing a movie that's genuinely scary. I mean, uh-huh. I, I mean, you could watch Goosebumps, but that's different from watching something that's hardcore, you know, like something genuinely scary. Like the ring. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was trying to get rings. You know, one of, on the DVD, they have a special feature where they show you that video. that That's so central to the ring. <laughs> nice. And they actually showed. And I actually, I was trying to set up with my cell phone, sort of, uh, sort of, you know, on the, uh, on the, you know, stealth. The, as Because well, I showed it to my kids of, of just having the phone ring as soon as it was done. And I don't know, it was, it failed. I wasn't able to do it. But that's something. Imagine that would be like the, the the something that would probably send me running out into the dark. Oh yeah! Is you get finished watching that video and then the phone rings. Well, well, that actually reminds me of a true story that happened to me. Um, little horror tale here, and uh, like not quite. But what happened was, do you remember um, Guns and Roses cover of "Knocking on Heaven's Door"? You remember that song? Uh-huh. And Guns N' Roses covered it, and in the end of the song, like, a phone rings. Okay, toward the end, if you listen carefully, you'll hear it. Well, um, I'm, I'm a musician. My friend and I were, like, playing that song back in that era, like, early 90s. Right. And um, we were playing Knocking on Heaven's Door, and coincidentally, at the end of the song, right in that region... You know, where it happens on the Guns N' Roses album, the phone rang twice and stopped ringing, just like on the, the recording, and it was crazy. Um, we wow. were pretty freaked out. I bet. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, we digress, but I just wanted to kind of put this ex- extreme basement horror watching idea out there, see if anybody would be up for it, if you'd think it'd be fun. And like I say, um, probably most of our audience already does this anyway, but right. it could right. be interesting. So, okay, that leads me to the next game. I had another idea for a game. I just want to get some feedback on this and see if people are up for this. Um, Dr. Shock, do you remember back on the weekly horror movie podcast when I <laughs> when I picked the, the Queen of the Damned for us to review? Yes, yes, I do remember. <laughs> Queen er- of the Damned, yes. <laughs> yeah, Queen of the Damned. And everybody yes. thought I was like an idiot for picking that. But honestly, that, right? <laughs> the thing is, <laughs> um, I have this weird thing. Now, now, okay, just a two-second creepy note. Okay, I was just picking up, um, trying to look up Queen of the Damned on IMDb, and I clicked on it, and then it went to this very freaky um, picture on IMDb of a woman named, an actress named Rose Marie. And um, and that popped up instead of Queen of the Damned. <laughs> and Dr. Rosemary. Yeah, Doctor Chuck. I'm gonna put the link in your Skype chat, and I want you to look at her picture and then react live on the air and see if you're not freaked out. <laughs> All right. I clicked on Queen of the Damned, 
and Rosemarie came up. Was it just a, a random thing? I don't know how it happened. It was kind of creepy. That's what I'm saying. I clicked on this Aaliyah movie, and this 1923 lady came up in black and white, and she's doing this freaky face. <laughs> well, Rosemary was a comedian. Yeah, I got myself worked into a tizzy already, so I think that's what All it is. Right. Sometimes I get creeped out on this show. Yeah, that's Rosemary. She was in the uh, Dick Van Dyke show. I knew you'd know exactly who it was, and... All the things she's been in. That's hilarious. She just said Rosemary. Yeah, it was Dick Van Dyke, Rosemary, and Maury Amsterdam were the three writers for the show. Yeah. Uh, that's what that's what the whole thing was. Yeah. All right. So I don't know why or how she came up. But anyway, back to Queen of the Damned. <laughs> um, right. I have this thing. I love going into libraries that have video collections and then kind of just looking at what horror movies they have. It reminds me a little bit of my obsession at looking at like the $5 movie bin that I love to do. Well, it's also exciting to see what horror movies libraries end up getting because listeners out there, if this sounds lame, just hear me out. The thing is, it is very weird. The, The types of movies that are selected, the ones that they acquire, um, you know, for this, this kind of event, like, um, I'm trying to give some examples. It's not, you know, the usuals. It's not just like Halloween 1978 or Friday the 13th 1980 or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974. Uh It's not like that. It's always like really weird stuff. And um, what's that? What's that for? Let's see. The Wasp Woman. It's a four movie set. Oh, Wasp Woman probably has the giant leeches on there. Yeah. And like, I mean, they have this like basically everywhere, but like it's... Um, I, I've actually seen it at Walmart before, but if, for example, I mean, it was just interesting to me. It's like, okay, why, why would my local library have that? But they always have like just the weirdest things. I think it's just, maybe people donate them. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's people, how it people happened. People donate them and people are saying, okay, well, I got this one here that I don't really want anymore. And I could donate this one or that, I mean, that, I'm just guessing. I don't a, know for sure. That's a good theory. Okay. Well, what, so here, here's my idea. I think this could be very intriguing. Um, honestly, uh, it, it's fun for me. If it's not fun for you, listeners, you don't have to do this. But I'm inviting people to do this. Every once in a while on a horror movie podcast, we do an At Your Mercy listener picks episode where you send in things that you want us to watch, try out, and review. And we basically pick a few of them, and then we review them. And it's very fun, and we've loved it. Well... Um, I would like to extend the challenge to our listenership to go out to like a random library and it doesn't even have to be your local library necessarily, but like just, just do a library. Like for example, in like if you're on a trip and you're passing through a town or it may be in a neighboring town, like for example, I don't live anywhere near, um, let's see, Iowa, but like, I know like there's a little town in Iowa that I always love. What is the name of that town? Um, Grinnell. Grinnell, Iowa. If you were in the Grinnell, Iowa library, I would love to know what horror flicks they have there. And so just send in your list in the name of the library um, that, that you found it at. And what we'll do is we'll pick the most intriguing ones that actually showed up in a library and maybe we can review those on an At Your Mercy episode and we'll even give oh, yeah, a shout out go. to the library. I think that's cool. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I like that. Yeah, so everybody, if you want to do that, try it out. Um, send in your picks. We would love it. 
Um, I think it could be interesting to hear. What- so, yeah, some. I mean, some libraries are pretty. You know, you can, you can get some. Like I know at our college library uh, is where I found uh, I Claudius the miniseries. Mm-hmm. Of course, it it absolutely sucks because they were missing episode six. Right in the middle, they were missing episode six. So I saw it was able to see one through five, and then you know seven and on. Um, so that kind of stuck, and then they and they had no idea where it had gotten to. It's one of those type of things <laughs> where somebody could have taken it three years earlier, and nobody's oh wait, something's missing. You know, one of those things. But actually, one of the cooler experiences I had, and again, this is not horror, but a friend of mine, I, I went up with him, you know, to the school. He had a final to take, and he said, "Look, it's going to be a couple hours." So I said, "All right, well, I'll go into the library and I'll just pick a movie out and I'll watch." And I actually picked. The 1990 TNT presentation of Treasure Island <laughs> with uh, Charlton Heston and Oliver Reed. Because I love the book. That's one of my fav- all-time favorite books. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, not knowing it at the time, but it had a teenage Christ- Christian Bale as Jim Hawkins in it. Oh, wow. Who was one of the, you know, he was not so much in, I mean, he had been in um, well, that Spielberg movie. What was the war movie that Spielberg had made? Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I know the one. Yeah, he, he had done that one by that point. But other than that, he was not a well-known – he was not a well-known individual. It's very strange now going back and seeing Batman, you know, playing Jim Hawkins in, in this movie. <laughs> right. Um, but I still – it's still my favorite version of Treasure Island. It, it's, it stays – Close enough to the book, uh, and has just a great cast uh, in it. Um, you know, as Charlton Heston plays Long John Silver. Um, I was just looking at that the other day. I was putting Twitter together, and I and one of the one of the bit of trivia I had for that was he used, he did have a parrot on his shoulder for one scene, and then the parrot kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. Was well, because it wouldn't stop biting him. Oh right, <laughs> it kept funny. biting him on the ear and and, and so forth. And I guess after a while he just said, "Well, throw this damn parrot out the window. Get this thing out. Of, you know, get this thing away from me." Yeah, and they bite hard. I know. Oh yeah, I'm guessing they do. Same thing. I think. Uh, Bill Murray had a similar experience with the um, with the Groundhog in Groundhog Day mm-hmm. in that brief scene where they're in the car together. I think it was biting his hands and so forth, and I don't think he was too happy about it either. That's right. Pa- parrots and groundhogs make poor lovers. So yes, I'll, I'll use zoophiliacs out there, just so you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dr. Shock, I'm going to lose my mind. So right now, as you were talking, I was trying to hold it together. Um when you when you, you, you see Rosemary again, didn't yeah. When when you put a link in the Skype chat, um, mm-hmm. it, it populates with the photo, you know, from that website, yes, and then yes. her picture is up, and she's doing that crazy face at me again, and um, I'm just I'm gonna freak out because it's really creeping me out. So uh, <laughs> I I had to move past it anyway. So one last little library story because I want to prove to people that sometimes there are gems there. There's like um. A drama, thriller, slightly horror movie from 2009 that I found at my library called Carriers. Um, it's an infected movie. It's one of those, you know, a lot of people are, and I'm going to talk about this more later in the episode, but a lot of people will blend those with like zombie type films. But I'm actually going to take a hard line on that tonight, so everybody look forward to that. But yeah, this movie Carriers from 2009 actually has Chris... Pine in it, Piper, Parabo, um, and this thing oh. is quite good, actually, and it is PG-13, however, it's very entertaining, but like I said, it's light on yes. horror, it's a great thriller, 
and a good drama. So, I mean, I, I think it's a good time. That's called Carriers. I would definitely recommend it. And I found it at the library, y'all. So, there you go. Very cool. Dr. Shock, next topic. I told you, I'm, I'm fired up and ready to go tonight. <laughs> I, I know that I'm very late to the party. You guys have probably talked about this before. The listeners have probably recommended this before. Probably everybody already knows about this. But... Um, Ryan, Ryan Elliott from <laughs> the uh, Movie Podcast Weekly and GeekCast Live Podcast, he recommended that I check out Lore, L-O-R-E Podcast. It's lorepodcast.com. Oh. Have you heard of this, Dave? No, I have not. Okay, now I will say this is not necessarily a horror podcast, but... Um, it taps into something, and I'm not just saying this, it taps into something I've always kind of wanted to do. We've been doing it somewhat on Horror Movie Podcast where we tell true horror stories or kind of look at the origins of horror. Like when we, we talked about vampires many episodes ago, we were talking about where some of the vampire lore came from. Well, this right. is like an expert version of that where the lore is dedicated to this. Their tagline is, Sometimes the truth is more frightening than fiction. And so, this is an incredible show. It has 35 episodes right now. And basically, you have this guy. He's um, he's a bookworm. His name is Aaron Menke. And he is exceptional. He does in-depth, hardcore, like, deep research on these true historical events or occurrences or these incidents that happened in history that are freaky. Okay. So, oh. so it's, it's kind of like a blend of like, twi- <laughs> like, I don't know, twilight zone, but it's also real life stuff. So, I mean, we've had those, um, what did we call it on this show? When we tell real life horror stories and we put the fire in the background, what do we call Camp, that? Campfire tales. Yeah. So this is like, yeah. this is like campfire tales, except this dude, I mean, he does amazing research and then he writes it up. Okay. So he, he actually writes out a whole script. He's not like just talking off the cuff like we are right, right now. And so um, he reads this very well written. I mean, the things he writes are, are pretty cool. Like like 95% of the time, it's, it's fairly amazing. And nice. um, let me just give you a little sample. So episode 35 is called The King. And I listened to this today. And this is a little teaser from his show notes. It says, Popular culture is obsessed with the idea of a lost humanity. Countless films, novels, and television shows all ask the same question. What would happen if only a few of us were left? Unfortunately, the answer was discovered a century ago off the coast of Mexico. And so this dude, oh. he sets stuff up like this. And, and like when you're reading, you're like, oh my goodness, I got to listen to this right now. And then another one I listened to, um, let's see, I believe it's episode 25. It's called The Cave. Let me read those show notes here. Over the centuries, all sorts of methods have been used to govern people. And while some have been just and humane, such as modern legal systems, others have been more unusual. Social fear, religious tyranny, and military might. However, few examples stand out as much as the events that took place over a century ago on a small island off the coast of Chile. And this is called The Cave. 
And by mm. the way, what happens in that cave is very disturbing. Um, really? Yeah, and I listened to it. So my only complaint with this guy, my only complaint is some of the episodes, like when you listen to The King, he is, um, his reading style is not supernaturalistic. So it's it's more than evident that he's reading. And it's actually kind of distracting for me and cumbersome. But okay but i mean he's written out this beautiful script that's well researched and so if you can get used to it and get past that guys i think everybody out there will love it this isn't necessarily horror but it is a little bit creepy it's a little bit unsettling it's more like um you know you're in history class and you're listening to a good history lecture with some creepy elements is what it is but i would recommend highly lorepodcast.com um it's tremendous. I'm very impressed, and I might try to get the guy on the show just so we can interview him. We'll just see what comes up with. One last thing on it, yes. Doc. I don't know. I should research this more. I've, I'm just getting introduced to this, but he has a soundtrack playing behind his recording. Okay, it's a solo uh-huh. cast. It's just him, and there's a soundtrack playing, and it's usually um, kind of like melancholy or sad type music. But the music cues really fit well with what he's saying. And so I'm like, did this guy have these orchestrated to to match his script? Because, huh. because it honestly, it lines up. And I'm like, that is very impressive. So he's the real deal. Um, very impressive. I highly recommend Lore. Okay. So there's nice. that plug. I did my good deed for the day. That was my good turn. <laughs> now... I want to ask you about something, Dr. Shock, and then I know you got some cool stuff to talk about, but um, I'm just like, I, it's been so long since I've been here. I'm just coming right. out of my podcast chair. Um, did you see that there is now a remake to one of my all-time favorite horror films, Alice, Sweet Alice? Really? I did not see that. Yes, sir. I happened to notice it on Amazon, and I did not get time to watch it. Um, you know, for this episode because I want to review it for everybody because just so everybody knows, I know I talked about this ad nauseum before, but 1976, Alice Sweet Alice, slasher flick. It's incredible, a must-see. I love it. Um, you gotta you gotta watch it. Well, this is the remake of it. I don't know how it is. It, it doesn't even come up on IMDB, this new one. I, I wow. think it's called I think it's actually they renamed it because the original Alice Sweet Alice was originally named Communion. And so I think this new one is technically called Communion, colon, Alice Sweet Alice is what it is now, I think. Yeah, and it still doesn't come up on IMDb, but it is on Amazon, and you can stream it there. So I'm going to be checking it out. If you beat me to it, listeners, let us know what you think of it in the show notes for this episode. Okay, Dr. Shock, I'll take a break and shut up. So, um, I understand that you have been visiting the movies of Jean Roland, right? Yeah, I have. Um, what it was is I have a, I had seen his films before, uh, years and years ago, some of them, not too many. Um, I know I'd seen Shiver the Vampire. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, I think it was when we were doing zombie episode of Planet Macabre, I saw Zombie Lake. 
so I was somewhat, somewhat, I had the uh, experience, you know, that like limited experience with the movies of Jean Roland. Um, and they didn't, you know, he's one of those filmmakers that he works very, very low budget. Uh, she always shoots on location. And his stories sometimes tend to well, meander. They, they, they tend to like take their time. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was what I, I had gotten the feeling with Shiver the Vampires. And I wasn't, and I was not a fan of Zombie Lake either. So for a while there, I was just sort of dismissive of Jean Roland. I was okay. like, oh, well, you know, it's just, you know, I've, I've kind of seen a couple of his films and they were, you know, the, I'm not going to say they were terrible, but they just weren't always, you know, the most interesting as far as I was concerned. Right. Well, the redemption titles, which, um, you know, Kino has this sort of redemption series where they have a lot of this sort of uh, Euro exploitation films uh, that, that they're releasing. And, and the first group that they released were movies by Jean Roland. So I wanted to just go back and sort of revisit his work and see, you know, hey, did I... It, what am I missing? Did I miss something here or, you know, or, or what is it? So I picked uh, several films of his and I actually have these again in the, in this redemption uh, series. Um, and I'll tell you what, I, I was, I was much more impressed this time around than I was the first time. Now it's not like I hadn't like, I, he'd, we had covered grapes of death mm -hmm. on uh, weekly horror. I think it was, was it weekly horror or horror metropolis? I think it was weekly horror. Weekly horror. Uh, it was yeah, weekly horror movie podcast. Yep. Yeah. We covered uh, the grapes of death, which I did like and for the longest time. That was sort of my favorite genre land movie. He's done a lot of different things. I think he's even dabbled in uh, pornography to be honest with you. I've well, it, it's those films. It's looking that way. So you got the rape of the vampire, the nude vampire. Yes. A Virgin Among the Living Dead, The Demoniacs, Once Upon a Virgin, Lips of Blood. There's one called Hard Penetration, which I'm wondering about that. There's one called Disco Sex, one called Fascination, The Living Dead Girl. I mean, if you look up some of these covers on here, Killing Car, like, <laughs> this, is, this is interesting. Two orphan vampires, so um, intriguing, Dr. Shuck. Yes. Well, it's funny because the ones that I had uh, taken a look at, uh, you even mentioned a couple of them there. There are four of them here. It was uh, Fascination from 1979, mm -hmm. um, The Iron Rose from 1973, The Demoniacs from 1974, and then The Living Dead Girl from 1982. Okay. Uh, so just sort of going back to the, to the earlier ones here, we start with The Iron Rose. Um, this one is... He even said, like, they had little introductions that he had done for some of these um, DVDs, <clears throat> obviously prior to his death. I'm, I think he died a couple years ago now, um, where, you know, he called this his strangest film. Okay, and it is that. All right. It's, it's, the, ba it's the basic setup is a boy and a girl. They meet each other um, at a wedding reception, and they decide the next day to go on a date. So they're looking to, you know, spend a little time together, you know, in, in private. They head to a cemetery where the boy finds that there's a crypt unlocked, underground crypt that, you know, most of them have been locked, but this one was not. He talks the girl into going down there with him. Whoa. And they go down there and they have sex in this vault. <laughs> um, now, unfortunately, they lose track of time. And when they come out of the vault, it's now night. 
and it's dark and they cannot find their way out of the cemetery. And that's what most of this movie is, is this couple trying to find their way out of this cemetery. This was shot in um, an, an actual uh, shot in an actual cemetery. It's one that I think is famous because the author Jules Verne is buried there. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and so it's an old cemetery. Is it in real time, like the film itself? Um, no, I don't think it is. I mean, I, it, it's, it's, I don't know that it's in real time. Um, what is it? Okay, it's a cemetery in uh, Amiens, uh, Amy, I don't know, A-M-I-E-N-S, France. Okay. Uh, that's where Jules Verne is, is, is buried. Um, but it was shot at night, so they were shooting at night in this cemetery. I mean, it's, you know, because he one thing he does is he's he's very big on locations. He does shoot on location. Pretty much all of his movies are shot on location or out in the open. You know, he's not really a studio director. Um, and this one was shot at night in this cemetery. And that right there has a little bit of a creep factor to it. Uh, mm -hmm. But then the girl starts to find herself sort of um, falling under the power of this cemetery and not really wanting to leave. Uh, whereas the guy wants to get out of there. She's starting to, you know, almost like she's losing her mind a little bit. She even at one point does this dance through the cemetery. Uh, it's a very, it is a very strange movie. Um, there are some people who it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. You know, ever, it's always fair to say slow burn. Mm -hmm. Well, I think all of Jean Roland's movies are, are, are in one way or another a slow burn. Okay, okay so that's oh, that's going to be the, the the pace of all of them. It's good to, to be know. honest with you. It's okay. good to know up front. I mean, I like when people tell me that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but I mean, the things that happen, like there's a scene where she holds up the skull, like in front of her face, um, after she is after she's sort of like losing her mind, and uh, the girl, it was it was uh, Francois pa Pascal was her name, uh, very very beautiful girl. Um, but you know that this is an actual skull. There was a scene shot where they fall into an open hole. And at the bottom of this hole, there just happened to be a bunch of skeletons. Um, and they shot this scene in there. I mean, this is all, you know, very real. Um, so they shot this scene laying on these human skeletons at the, at the bottom of this pit. Um, it is, it's an interesting movie. Again, it's not a lot to it. It's these, they're trying to get out of the cemetery, but you know, there, there's something about the cemetery with those big, you know, it's, it's one of those, like I said, older cemeteries, the big headstones and everything. It's just a little unsettling. Um, and I think it's more that, I don't know that this would be one that's going to straight up scare you, but it's definitely... It's it's unnerving. You know, there are scenes of it that that can be a little unerving. It sounds kind of um, like an arty, an arty it is. trash that's horror that's film. The thing. That's the thing with Jean Roland. What I'm finding is is that he walks that fine line between exploitation and art house, mm. where he's shooting. You know, he's he's aiming for art house to a degree. But he doesn't want to drop the exploitation elements. He doesn't want to drop the nudity and violence out of the movie. Not that not that art house films, uh, you know, not that not that all art house films exclude them anyway. I mean, there are some that that include that. But but he's going for art house. But it's it's a very 
it, very low budget. You know, he, he made these makes these movies for next to nothing. Um, so they tend to come off more as exploitation. Even later on, some of his films, they, they're like straight up exploitation. He's kind of out of the whole art house. But this one definitely has an art house vibe to it. Um, mostly, like I said, just because there's not a lot to the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty you know, bare bones. It's very bare bones. <laughs> I didn't yeah, mean right. to do that, but yeah, okay. <laughs> it's very, very bare bones. I mean, there's uh, uh, the the girl. There's an interview with her um, talking about it, and she actually helped remove a coffin from this hole that they were going to film in. There was a coffin down in there, and they pulled it out of there. Wow! In order to uh, in order to shoot this scene, um, and and I think just knowing that this is a real location and that they were doing this sort of thing. I mean, they there's a scene where they're rolling around on the ground. They get into like this little bit of a, a a melee uh, with the you know the boy and the girl, and they're rolling around on the ground with all of these cemeteries there, and even the crypt they went into. I doubt they got permission. <laughs> Probably <laughs> to not to go down into into this crypt. Right. But it was a crypt. They went down into this crypt. Um, this uh, to to shoot several scenes down there. Um, so that was that was the one. That's probably the the the, the most bizarre of of them all. Um, but looking at like, um, what do you rate the iron rose from 1973? You know what? I'm probably, I would probably give it a six because I did enjoy it. Uh, I would say it's a rental, uh, but again, just be ready. It's not something that's going to blow. It's, it's, it's not going to blow you away with, with it's, with the horror elements. It's not something. And as a matter of fact, I can see some people just being bored to tears with the movie. Next up is, uh, I looked at The Demoniacs. This is a 1974 film. Okay, this is the one where it's the se- it's set in the 1700s. It's about this band of pirates. They call themselves the Wreckers. And they're roaming the coast of France. They're luring ships, you know, in into the rocks and then going out and killing the crew and stealing all their cargo. Um, and and it's, uh, this captain, he has a second in command who's sort of challenging his power all the time. Um, there's a third guy that's with them who he's he's kind of hanging back to see which of these two end up on top. So he's sort of aligning himself with both of them. And then a girl, of course, who's the captain's girlfriend. Um, well, one night they're on the beach and they're splitting up. They had just, you know, taken out this ship. And these a pair of young women come walking out of the sea calling for help. Apparently they were passengers on the ship that they had just, you know, had hit the rocks and everything and sunk and then went out and looted it. Well, these girls are calling for help, but instead, um, the wreckers, uh, beat them up and rape them right there on the beach and then leave them to die. Well, the girls don't die and they make their way to this Island. Uh, and it's like these, these uh, ruins, it's like the ruins of this church there. And they meet a character who is billed as the exorcist. Okay, mm. and informs them that a demon is imprisoned below in this in this ruin, um, and he can help them get their revenge on the wreckers. But um, you know, it's going to cost them. Okay, you know, they may end up having to maybe maybe they 
maybe they won't survive at the end of it. They're, they're, you know, he's not going to do it for free. He's not going to help them out just for nothing. But anyway, um, it's interesting because this is another one that's sort of, uh, well, it's like it straddles the line between the art house and, um, and exploitation. I think this one leans a little bit more towards the horror, towards the exploitation. Uh, you got the rape of the two women. It is brutal. Okay. Um, but then they go to a pub where the captain, one of the things that the captain has been experiencing is he has been, he is being visited by the spirits of those he has killed. They're haunting him. Mm. Well, we see these two girls around the cafe and they're looking, you know, all dead and everything. And they're just staring at the captain. They just appear everywhere he looks. So it's sort of driving him crazy. Thing is, the girls aren't dead. So this is, you know, it's definitely in his mind because the girls are not actually dead. Right. Um, <clears throat> and of course, they, they're, they're very attractive young women and they wear next to nothing. I mean, to say like, you know, like, you know, like skirts in the 60s would like come right up, you know, like the really short <laughs> skirts. Yeah. That's kind of what they're wearing. I mean, like right up to, to where it's, it's almost like, wow, you're almost leaving nothing to the imagination here. Um, <laughs> But anyway, it's sort of at the beginning, it has this sort of action thing because they go back and they find out the girls are alive and they go back to kill them. They say, okay, well, now we have to kill them. Well, they shoot shot this among the ruins of these ships, uh, like a ship graveyard, if you will, um, that I'm guessing, and I don't know if they had put this together for the film. I don't think so. I think this is an actual ship graveyard where they shot this thing. Um, they lit one of them on fire, you know, to sort of lure the girls out or, or whatever. But then after that, it turns into a supernatural tale, you know, like with revenge. Um, one of the things is, it, it, and it gets a little strange. I, I don't know if that's the art house mentality or whatever, but when they first walk out of the water onto this island, the two girls, where they meet this exorcist, they're greeted by a woman in full clown makeup. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And she guides them to the exorcist and tends to their wounds. Oh, by the way, in the Iron Rose, um, Jean Roland makes a cameo appearance in that movie as well. And I think there's a clown in that movie as well. I don't know. Maybe clowns really creep him out like they do a lot of people. So maybe the things that they, they add to the horror, I'm not sure. But it's just out of nowhere, just this clown, uh, you know, the, this the circus looks like a circus clown is is at this place with, with this exorcist and with this demon. Um, anyway, what happens, um, <clears throat> they release the demon well, he passes his powers on to the two girls by making love to them. Okay, so it's again one of those kind of movies. You're getting that. You're getting that sort of, uh, you know, the, the the nudity and whatnot in in uh, in the right. film. Yes. Um, and then it, it just it just becomes sort of more peculiar from there. There's this. They, they she does end up you know running into the wreckers and and whatnot. Um, it's it's again <clears throat> it's just strange because there's a lot of action at the beginning. And then it sort of slows down to become sort of a paranormal uh, finale. Um, this one I'd rank maybe a little bit more. This one I think I, I would, would hold interest a little better maybe than the Iron Rose was. I'd maybe 6.5 to a 7 on the, on the Demoniacs. Um, this one I didn't. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I like most of the moves I'm going to be discussing here. but um, So you're saying yeah, like a, a 6.5 on it? Yeah, I'd say a 6.5. Again, these are all going to be like rentals. I think all of them are worth seeing. Okay. 
at least right, once then. then. So that's like a one time watch. At, at least once. Yeah. At least once it's worth checking out and gotcha. just to see this guy, just to, because one thing, like I said, one thing with him is, and I, uh, it's in all of the movies I've seen, even in the grapes of death and, and, and even in the one, um, shiver the vampires, he's just very big on location. He doesn't necessarily go back to the same locations twice. It's always different, and he's always mixing it up, and he's always filming in these very unusual places, and he makes full use of them. I mean, you get the idea that you un- you know the layout, uh, you know the grounds um, by the time you know the movie is is in full force, uh, like it, and it's it, you know by the by I'd say past the halfway point, um, and I, he des- definitely has a real sort of sense of of location and space in these films. And I think that that's one thing that really shines through. And that's one of the reasons I like them because they always incorporates that. And it's always interesting. Next one is fascination from 1979. This is a little bit more what I guess would be considered what people would, uh, you know, in the genre land wheelhouse, in that he's dealing with vampire women and lesbian vampires and whatnot. Okay, <laughs> um, but it's still a little bit different. Okay, again, this one is is set in the in the past, nineteen oh five. This guy, he's a thief, and he's just sort of um, swindled his partners. You know, he's part of this uh, this this group of of crooks, and he swindled them out of some of their gold. Um, so he takes off. He's looking for a place to hide, and he comes to this remote mansion. That it, it looks like there's nobody there. So he goes inside, but he finds there's two chambermaids, Elizabeth and Eva. Um, and they're, what there is, they're watching the place for their master. He won't be back for a few days. Um, well, what happens is the, these, these, uh, the other thieves have tracked him to this house. And if he goes outside, they're going to kill him. Okay, so he's going to stay inside till it's dark. And then he thinks hopefully he can slip away. Well, these two girls, instead of, you know, trying to, you know, get rid of him or whatever, they're trying to get him to stay. They're trying to seduce him. They want him to stay there. And it turns out it's because they're part of a group of vampires and they're looking for who's their their next guest of honor for their next meeting, which happens to be that night. (laughs) Okay, now this has a very sort of famous... Uh, image with it, and it is of uh, the actress uh, Bridget Lahaye. I'm going to pronounce her name. I could be butchering it. I don't know. Of um, of her in a black cloak, walking with a scythe and just sort of swinging the scythe. Um, and there is a scene with that, you know, where she sort of is, is going to help this guy out and uh, take out his cohorts. Um, of course, she does end up having sex with one of them. So, again, this is a movie that you're going to get the nudity. Uh, but the violence, now, they're violent, but these three movies I'm, I'm uh, talking about at first here, the violence in these is more along the lines of the sort of stage blood, like the hammer blood. You know, like they're really bright red blood um, that you can tell they just sort of driz- drizzled onto somebody. Yeah. As opposed to actually coming out of any wound. Right. <clears throat> That's what a lot of the violence is in these films, in, in, in this first group here. And this one's from 1979. It's Again, it's a little bit of an art house feel. When, with, the, with the opening credits, it opens with, with these two chambermaids standing on a bridge. There's a bridge that goes over a moat into this, this mansion. 
and they have a phonograph sitting on the ground and they just have a record playing and they're dancing to it. And that's what the opening credits are. Then the very next scene is you got these high society women in these, in these like very fancy dress and they're in a slaughterhouse, which has got just red all over the place. And they're drinking ox's blood. Um, it's become sort of the rage among the um, elite. They think it will, um, it, it helps people suffering from anemia if they drink ox's blood. So there's this very, another very bizarre scene set at a, um, at a slaughterhouse. Again, it's just a messy place. There's like blood everywhere all over the floor. And you got these high society women sitting there just drinking ox's blood. Um, you know, you do get, uh, there is some, a lesbian encounter in the film. Um, and again, the, probably the most violent is the scene with, 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 uh, the one girl with the scythe. Okay. okay because yeah. she does sort of take it to these, these people, um, that, that are outside waiting for, you know, waiting for Mark. Um, this one worked a little bit better than some of his other vampire movies. And again, I probably will go back and revisit even Shiver the Vampires um, because there is something, you know, they tend to move slower than other films, is his vampire films. Not this one. I didn't get that vibe with, with Fascination. Okay. Again, though, it, it walks that line between Art House and Grindhouse. You know, it, it's, 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 it's beautiful. Um, at times and it's sort of repulsive at other times. Um, and it is an interesting watch. I mean, it is, you know, fascinating. I mean, it's called fascination. There are parts of it that I was really, I was like, wow, this was the one that sort of, this was the first one that I watched. Um, and it sort of opened my eyes to saying, Hey, there might be more to the, the you know, genre lens work, you know, than, uh, than I had originally given him credit for. What did you rate Fascination from 1979? Oh, fascination would probably be more along the lines of like a six, too. I'd give that one a six. Okay. And by the okay. way, that, that Bridget Lahai? Yes. Yeah, she she was actually in uh, Calvert from 2004, which we reviewed in one of the um, At Your Mercy picks, which I actually really oh. enjoyed. So Nice. Yeah, she showed up in that film, too. So that's cool. She's, she's absolutely stunning in these movies, too. I mean, she's just beautiful. I think she had also done some hardcore pornography earlier in her career, and this was sort of her. So, so there are scenes where, I mean, I know in The Grapes of Death, there's a scene where um, I, I always remember it because she's standing there just completely naked out in the open. She's outside. Um, and you could tell, like, she's going to say something, but she doesn't. Well, I came to find out, uh, looking into it, that that was filmed in what would be like sub-zero temperatures or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. She was so cold, she couldn't talk. She had a line, but could not deliver it. Wow. Because she was so cold, standing there buck naked out in the middle of this, of this extremely cold, uh, <laughs> in the extreme cold. She just couldn't bring herself to, to actually say anything. But then the most recent one I watched is also the latest. It's The Living Dead Girl. This is one that um, Roland made after The Grapes of Death. With The Grapes of Death, he got into something new, and it was gore. Okay, he had not worked with gore prior. But The Grapes of Death was a, was a gory film, and The Living Dead Girl is another one. This is also sort of a gore, uh, you know, a, lot, a lot more violent um, 
than his other films. Um, he did shoot it on location. And it's interesting because it's a French film, but then there are these two Americans that are in town and they're talking in English. You know, so it's not like everybody's talking in French. So you get subtitles for half the movie and then the other half you get these two characters who, you know, are talking English. It was just sort of, I hadn't seen that in any of his previous uh, films. Uh, but anyway, the whole idea uh, of this one is that um, uh, this, these three guys, they're looking to get rid of this toxic waste. Okay. So they go to this, um, <clears throat> this underground chamber that's, that's near uh, uh, an estate that belonged to the Valmont family. Now they've all since died. You know, they've died off. Um, well, what they're going to do once they get under there, they say, hey, while we're here, why don't we still, you know, do a little grave robbing? Because there are some caskets down there that house these, um, these well, well-to-do, um, you know, people. One of them was this, this younger girl passed away a few years earlier. So as they're doing this, there's this sort of earthquake. Some of the toxic waste spills, and is exposed to the airs, exposed, ex, ex, Catherine Valmont, the young girl, springs to life and takes out these guys, you know, in, in pretty grisly fashion. I think there's one that Lucia Fulci would have been proud of where she digs mm. her fingers into the eyes. Oh, yeah. You know, and and <laughs> okay. uh, one of those kind of kills. Um, well, she's now awake, but, you know, she's she's sort of slowly coming to. It's not as if she's a zombie. Uh, she is sort of a zombie, but she's a little more aware than your normal zombie. She right. makes her way back to the estate. She's starting to recognize things. But she meets up with her lifelong friend, Helene, who was actually working almost like as, a, as a, uh, an agent to try and sell this estate or to rent it. I'm not exactly sure. But anyway, she's really thrilled to have Catherine back. Because the two of them had made a deal that they were going to stay together forever. Um, and obviously that didn't happen. You know, Catherine had died and Helene was still alive. Um, but what, you know, so she's trying to help uh, Catherine, but what, realizes one of the things that she needs is she needs human blood to survive. So Catherine starts bringing her victims. She starts luring people to the house. I mean, I'm sorry, Helene starts luring people to the house uh, for Catherine to kill her. But as Catherine becomes more aware, she realizes that her being alive is, is wrong. She shouldn't be alive and she shouldn't have to kill these people, you know? So she's almost looking to be dead again. Whereas Helene does not want her to die. She wants her to stay alive. She just keeps bringing her these people and cutting them and saying, okay, now, you know, and then there you go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, again, it was shot on location on this, in this very spacious sort of estate. Um, and it is it is a, a zombie film to to a degree, but it's unique because Christine does learn to talk again, becomes more self aware the longer she's awake. Um, but this one is the gore. Okay, this is what this is what sets this one apart. Um, and what's really interesting is there's this guy Benoit Lestang. He was the one who created all of these gore effects. He was 17 at the time. He wanted to break into films. He actually they all stayed in the estate where they shot this. He slept in the bathroom with a lot of the gore effects that he was putting together. And for a 17-year-old with no experience, he does a pretty damn good job, mm -hmm. okay? Because some of the stuff looks really good. It doesn't look perfect, but it does look good, okay? Um, uh, and it's interesting because what happens is, you know, most, most living dead will, like, bite your neck. 
Right. This girl has extremely sharp fingernails, so she just digs her nails into the necks. Yeah, and you to, can to start the blood going. You, you can see that on the cover art for it, the poster mm-hmm. art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Well, and and the the climactic scene of the film is is, I'll tell you what. The the climax of this film is disturbing along the lines of. Um, what was that movie we had done recently? The the um, uh, Jim Mickle film was We Are We Are What We Are. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's along those lines, okay. Where just something very disturbing happens at the end and very gory. Um, so this is one that's a little bit more. I think horror fans, this one would be a little bit more accessible. The Living Dead Girl. Again, it's not gonna. You know, it it has its moments of where it slows down a little bit. Um, but this one with the gore, with the story, um, and the whole idea of, of this woman, like there's a scene where, where Helene goes out there, she pretends like her car is broken down and she gets this girl, so oh, if you could drive me back to the house, um, you know, I, I, I have a, a gas pump there, I can get some gas. So they go back to the house and she goes inside and this other girl is sort of like waiting for her. So she goes in and then is locked in the house so that this, so that, so that Catherine can feed on her. So there's things like that that, that happen. You know, it, it's it's more, again, this one's the more accessible of all the films, The Living Dead Girl. This one I'd probably give a 7.5. Oh, nice. Okay. And say this is one that, that's, you know, this maybe put this one ahead of the other ones. Uh, again, just realize that, that John Roland, this is, a, this is a little out of the norm for him. There's even a, 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 on the DVD, he talks about it at the opening that um, he had not really worked with Gore before, but... That's what the, the, they were sort of hiring him to do with the Grapes of Death in this one. He did the Grapes of Death and the Living Dead Girl were his back-to-back films. Right. They, okay. He did them both like one after the other. Um, and they both had that same sort of, uh, you know, messy, you know, sort of gory uh, uh, storylines and, and scenes and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, the Living Dead Girl, and, and again, it, it does have a very disturbing ending. Um, but I would give it a... Uh, I would give it a 7.5. And it's, I just, I, I enjoyed going back into, into just sort of looking at it because I had been very dismissive of Jean Roland before with, with the few films of his that I have seen. Um, but I guess, you know, he has such an, uh, an extensive filmography. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of movies that this guy has directed. Yeah, you can tell. And uh, they are interesting. I mean, for sure, the titles are pretty intriguing, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like the nude vampire was one of his earliest ones. I think that's in black and white. One thing he does is a lot of his films will have a scene set on a beach. And it is a beach that he became very fond of as a child. So he shot there often. Like in The Iron Rose, it's almost like a dream sequence from the cemetery where, where you have the girl at the beach. So he does include this, the, the, this beach shot. It's almost like a, like a standard sort of Jean Roland shot. In a lot of his movies, they're set at the, you know, they're set other places, but they always sort of come back to this one beach. Um, uh, but it's just, it, I'm enjoying it. And there are other ones I'm going to check out. There's actually one called The Escapees mm-hmm. about these two women who escape from a mental institution. And then they're sort of loose um, that I that I want to check out. Yeah, that sounds uh, interesting. I, That's from 1981. Yes. And I do want to go back and take a look at some of those earlier vampire films that I, that I had just sort of blown off and I had said, Oh, there's nothing, you know, this is sort of just boring and dull. Um, zombie Lake. I'm not sure. I, I just saw that one fairly recently and it just didn't do anything for me. 
the zombies looked uh, they looked you know pretty good um, as far as you know like zombies would be and and I think it even has does it have not I think it might even have Nazi zombies. Yeah, I believe so, and that's been streaming on Netflix for a long time. I don't know if it still is, but um, yeah, <laughs> that one. I think you you even reviewed that back on Planet Macabre. Yes, or, we or did. So. I I just wasn't impressed with it. it yeah, you weren't. It didn't, no, it didn't. It didn't do it for me. Yeah. Um, but these four films that, sort of, that, that I've sort of checked out here, yeah, they're interesting. Again, it's it's there is a sort of art house feel to them. Okay, so so there's that. There's going to be, you know, if you're going in looking for straight up horror, you're not going to get that all the time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But it's interesting. And it's just sort of interesting to see how this guy works locations, what he does, um, you know, sort of the 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 way that the films uh, evolve with the stories and whatnot. Um, And if you like if if you're not adverse to nudity in movies, you get plenty of that in his movies. Um, it's almost like a prerequisite for any young actress who was going to appear in one of his films. You got to be willing to, you got to be willing to walk around in the nude. Right. Um, so it's, it's just, for me, it's just a nice, an interesting blend of, of what would be art house and, um, and exploitation. And it's, it's just interesting to see how the two of them meet up in his films. And I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing some of his others, uh, going forward. Okay, well, th- thanks for covering that. That's Dr. Shock's take on a few of the movies of Jean Roland. Okay, at this point in episode 90 of Horror Movie Podcast, you just got Jay of the Dead here. I am here alone by myself, no Dr. Shock, but he'll return later on for our outro. And uh, the reason this episode was late is because I was actually trying to squeeze in a couple of other movies this week, such as the Alice Sweet Alice remake and What We Become, because the What We Become movie actually fits really well with a film I'm going to discuss here in a moment called Hidden. But unfortunately, the week is ticking by. Here it is Wednesday now, because it's after midnight as I record this, and I'm several days late with releasing this episode. So instead of just dragging out the release of this show for days on end longer, what I'm doing is just trying to do record what I've got now for you. I'll get this out, and then in the upcoming episode, I'm going to try to get those other reviews that I had been intending for you. Okay, so thanks for your patience, and at this point, we'll move into my feature review of The Darkness from 2016. Hey, Mikey. Do you know the Indians that used to live around here thought this place was haunted? Legend says that the guardians of their spirit world lived in the rocks and the trees. That one day, they're going to come back into our world. Don't be a jerk. Like, I didn't mean anything by it. Mikey knows that. Okay, I saw The Darkness when it was released in theaters on Friday the 13th of 2016. A lot of people probably heard of this movie long before it was ever released because it was called Six Miranda Drive. And if you did any research for, you know, the past, what, eight months on upcoming horror films, this one actually popped up quite a bit. And so for whatever reason, they opted not to call it Six Miranda Drive. They went to a much more generic title, which is The Darkness. Okay, now that we have that out of the way, 
good job on titling this. So um, this is a PG-13 horror film, and uh, we've been talking recently about PG-13 horror movies, and honestly, we're going to need to do a show or at least an extended segment at some point where we do talk about the relatively few films that are horror films rated PG-13 and still effective. Now, a lot of times, we just don't feel like it's successful. We actually talked about that earlier in the show, I believe, uh, with Dr. Shock when we were talking about a, a Halloween film not being rated R. It just it doesn't make sense to me. But anyways, this is PG-13 for thematic elements some disturbing violence, brief sensuality, and language, okay? So, as far as that goes, as you could tell, the content is pretty tame. Now, this was uh, co-written and directed by Greg McLean, who you will know for doing uh, the director of Wolf Creek and Wolf Creek 2, as well as Rogue. Now, Rogue, by the way, is this killer crocodile movie from, I think it's like 2007, and I actually enjoy quite a bit. So if you like stuff like that, I would recommend checking out Rogue because it's pretty decent, actually. Um, Let me just give you a quick premise on Rogue because honestly, it's more interesting than talking about the darkness. So um, let me just take a a quick little sidetrack. It also has our girl uh, Rada Mitchell who plays in uh, this movie here. We're talking about the darkness as well as Rogue. And You've got these people in the Australian outback, and they are doing this like tour, you know, down the river or something. This American journalist is on the assignment, and um, they they basically get trapped on the river on this little muddy island. Okay, and so they are on land, but it's kind of surrounded by water, and there is this rogue man-eating and woman-eating crocodile who wants to like devour them and by the way the water is rising now you know that sounds fun now this has um as i said rada mitchell as well as sam worthington who's great we all like sam and uh this is something to check out for real like i mean and some people know john jarrett as well but he's in it anyway i think it's worth your time. I think it's a a good deal of fun. And this was also written and co-directed by Greg McLean. So Greg has done effective stuff in the past. I know a lot of people love Wolf Creek. That's very effective and upsetting. Wolf Creek 2, I still haven't seen that yet. And the writers, by the way, the three writers that worked on this film, they were also associated with Wolf Creek and Rogue. So you know, this is kind of common that this happens. You have people that, you know, kind of stick together and work in teams, and they do, you know, they like working together, obviously. Now, this movie, The Darkness, is a Blumhouse production, and, uh, you know, I just, I get tired of hearing myself talk about it and complain about it. I mean, Blumhouse is about 50-50 to me. I mean, they're they're either hit or miss, and uh, this film right here, the darkness as on the miss side of things. And uh, I just, I find that so saddening and disconcerting and upsetting. Like, let me just, I don't mean to be so negative, but when I saw the trailer for the darkness, I said out loud to myself, I have no desire to see that. 
and I was sitting in the theater by myself and I just, I really didn't. It's like, what is it in the past 10 years with maybe 15 by now, 15 years with like horror movies in this black goop that comes out of like people's mouths and stuff. It's like, why did we start thinking, okay, in one movie, if black goop comes out, and I really think this is a J horror thing. That's where I would trace it back to is like Japanese horror cinema. Maybe you know better. Maybe you know where it really comes from or where it originated. But it's like the first time that happens in a movie, it's like, okay, yeah, that's pretty freaky. You know why it's freaky? Because it's unusual. Because it's something that is not the norm, something we have not seen before. And we're not used to humans spewing black goop out of their mouth or their eye sockets or whatever, right? Because it's freaky the first time. But when 50 horror movies have done it over and over, you're like, yeah, it's it's not working. It, it's it's super lame. And that whole, the black handprints and the black goop, I mean, you'll see in the trailer, if you watch the trailer to this, it has um, a meaningless role in the film, which which is to say it doesn't amount to anything other than it's black goop, but <laughs> it does have a significant role in, in, in as much as it's reoccurring or recurring. So it happens a lot. And it's like, okay, well, there's one horror movie convention that you've used and uh, over and over. Good job, Blumhouse Productions. Keep up the good work because we just love it. Keep it coming. I love it. So anyway, if I sound a little bitter, it's just because I just feel like there is better horror cinema out there, or at least that's possible. And I just do not know why we're getting it. The Darkness is, I'll tell you right now, this is a red box movie, meaning you know all those horror films that are like these low-budget indie horror films that don't really see the light of day except for being released at Redbox. And then you always rent them, and then you're always thinking, maybe this will be a gem, maybe this will be good. And then what happens when you rent it? You're like, oh, I lost a dollar. You know what I mean? It's just... So this is another one of those. This is that same caliber of film. It does have, I will say, it does have Kevin Bacon in it. And, you know, Kevin Bacon, classic actor, he is very talented. He actually raises the bar in this movie, which is to say, he and Rada, Rada Mitchell, and I do not know if I pronounce her name correctly, but anyway, those two, their performances are good enough that they actually lend a little more gravitas to this film. That makes the film feel more important or more significant than it actually is. That sounds like a pretentious film critic thing to say, but I'm just saying their performances are credible enough. When you see them on the screen, it's like tangible enough that you're like, okay, I, I, I can uh, suspend my disbelief to think, okay, these are real people right here and they're having real problems right before my eyes. So that's something to appreciate. Now, as far as the premise goes, here's what you got. They take their kids to the Grand Canyon for vacation. Okay, and their son, Mikey, I believe is his name in the film, he uh, is on the autism spectrum. Okay, so uh, Mikey falls into this 
hole type cave and he encounters these stones with these little designs on them and um he decides they look cool and he takes them with him okay so note to self just so people know if you fall into a cave and you see something with important markings on it or markings that are potentially important <laughs> don't steal them because bad things happen okay so just so you know now, this is one of those films that is tied in with Native American culture. I'm sure it's probably not accurate. I didn't do the research on that. And I think it may be the Hopi Indians. Don't quote me on that because honestly, I do not remember partially because I do not care. And I ended up seeing this like two weeks ago and it's that forgettable. So anyway, the kid goes home and the curse that's associated with these stones and so forth, it befalls this family. And as is the case with most horror movies, horror happens to those who deserve it least. This family is struggling in the first place. They have a lot of different problems individually. Like, um, it's kind of like a, a who's who of after school movies problems. I mean, you've got the son who struggles with being on the autism spectrum or uh, more accurately, his parents struggle with helping to care for him. Um, the mother is a recovering alcoholic and the uh, father has some problems from his past, which the film unfolds to you. So I won't reveal it here. And then we already mentioned the son on the spectrum. And then there's a daughter who has an eating disorder. And those things are kind of upsetting. And I said on Movie Podcast Weekly when I reviewed this that as a drama, this film actually works. I mean, if it were not a horror film and it were just a drama, it would seem very, uh, I don't know, heavy-handed or contrived that each individual person in this family has like major things going on all at the same time. But the, the fact is, in this movie, they do. And on top of that, they, they have this haunting from this supernatural, uh, malevolent, evil entity or beings who are trying to um, do terrible things to them, basically. I mean, I've heard comparisons of this movie with uh, like Poltergeist. And yeah, I mean, I could see that. Because it's a family terrorized by, you know, supernatural forces. But um, not nearly as good as Poltergeist. Just going to put that out there. And, and so that's kind of the premise of the film. That's what you're looking at here. Um, it's a, a lot of people have said this is boring. And honestly, the dramatic elements, just as a drama strictly... They, they had me engaged enough. I mean, it is kind of a slow burn. There's not a lot of like action per se. But as the film unfolds, I was entertained enough by, you know, caring about the characters due to the weight of the performances that I talked about earlier that I was happy to, I guess, sit through it and try to see how the drama unfolded. But the problem is they've got it mixed up with a horror movie that's a a pretty bad horror movie. It's not very good at all. So you got a fair or decent drama uh, blended with this horror movie that is just totally broken and does not work. And so you get frustrated on both sides of the spectrum, honestly, because you don't get to uh, fill out these characters or see all the dramatic beats that happen 
because it's interrupted by the horror that comes later. And then vice versa, the horror, I, I, need I say more? I mean, if you look at, <laughs> I'm on IMDb as usual to, you know, kind of gain my bearings to, for reviewing this. And I see that the, the user review here, Hellmant <laughs> from the United States writes, shockingly bad. He gives it two and a half stars out of five. And so I think shockingly bad is maybe not accurate because the trailer made it look sufficiently bad to me. But this is not a good film. And if you rent it from Redbox, for example, then that's what you're going to get, a Redbox type of movie. I know I've already said that, but I just want you to be aware of something. I won't spoil it here, but the way this film ends... It's almost worth renting it from Redbox or waiting till it's streaming on Netflix so you can see the way this film ends because it was like the writers were sitting around and maybe it was like the last day of shooting. Maybe they had like an hour left <laughs> on their shooting schedule and they're like, I got nothing. I don't, I don't I have no idea how we're going to end this. And so honestly... If you had to finish a movie and wrap it up like within an hour, having no idea how you were going to do it, that's how this movie ends. I'm not even kidding you one bit. It's that bad. So when I reviewed this a few weeks ago, which was a very brief review on Movie Podcast Weekly, episode 190, <laughs> I rated it a 4 out of 10, and I said to avoid the darkness. And I still stand by that rating because honestly, it's only been a, a few weeks now since I saw that movie, two or three, and I hardly remember anything. We found this shelter. It's given us food, a home, a life. We could be the only ones left. The only ones still alive. What is it, Dad? Footsteps. They're still looking for us. They've searched here a dozen times before. They've never found us. All right, and now on episode 90 of Horror Movie Podcast, I want to tell you about a little film that um, I have kind of a funny story with this. This is called Hidden. It's from 2015. A lot of people's ears perked up just now because this is a film that many listeners recommended. Some of you had it on your top 10 list at the end of the year. And I'll tell you what's taken me so long. One of my pathetic joys in life, I'm just going to confess here for a minute, is finding a film that other people haven't found quite yet and kind of bringing it to the attention of the horror community. And I had actually seen Hidden. I'm not seeing the movie, but I actually learned about Hidden, saw the premise, saw the cover a long time ago, actually. And I was like, wow, that's a movie that I really want to see. And I was keeping an eye on it and I was having trouble seeing it. And then I forgot about it. A lot of other people saw it before I did. <laughs> and then it recommended on the boards it was in your top 10 list. And I'm like, ah, screw it. So I was kind of mad, not really mad, but I was just like, once again, I'm bested by the horror movie podcast listeners, but I'm used to it. It's okay. 
I don't want you guys to feel bad about my inferiority uh, complex. So anyway, this is called Hidden from 2015. This is written and directed by the Duffer brothers, and that's Matt and Ross Duffer, in case you've gotten them mixed up already with some different Duffer brothers that you're familiar with. And uh, like, honestly, um, I think these guys have some talent just from what I'm seeing here in this film. They're uh, twin brothers, by the way. I'm just going to put that out there. Little fact. But Hidden is a cool film because I was looking at the premise, and this is what attracted me all along. A family takes refuge in a fallout shelter to avoid a dangerous outbreak. And if you look at the cover of this film, you can see these people. They look like they're kind of like in a basement or a cellar beneath the ground, and they're hidden from the world above, and they're looking up. And so one thing that I wanted to talk about right up front is infected versus zombie. Okay, now I know that we rehash this over and over, so this is going to be fast. So I'm just going to say I have come to the place in my life now with my relationship with horror and um, genre classification that I think that it is beyond refute at this point. I've actually changed my ways on this. I used to insist that, you know, infected movies were basically zombie movies because they function the same way they're zombie-esque. And then Kyle Bishop still says that if, number one, if they're living dead, if they're dead and they're reanimated, and number two, Kyle a lot of times will use the definition that they do not have their own agency. They don't have the ability to choose what they're doing, okay? I'm just saying that we have enough of an infected subgenre now that I think it's its own thing. I mean, I consider it its own thing now. And so what we're talking about here in Hidden, and I'm being very careful about how I talk about this film in this review. I'll just tell everybody that up front. And by the way, don't let people spoil this movie for you because it is a good film. It is definitely worth your time. And it's the kind of movie that some idiot will spoil for you if you're not careful. Now, I just want to tell everybody right now, Jay of the Dead is not that idiot. Not this time. <laughs> no, I ser- I take it seriously. I don't spoil stuff, and I'm not going to spoil it for you. So, Hidden is an infected film. And so, the outbreak that they're worried about, the infected. Now, this is very interesting because as the film opens, you've got this kid who wakes up with a nightmare, and then the, these really good parents who are very attentive are there to try to comfort this child. It's a little girl, and you see these tender parents talking to the girl, and they start reciting to her the rules because they apparently they have family rules that they have conjured in order to survive this outbreak, this post-apocalyptic type of situation that they um, ostensibly are facing. And so this family is holed up down in this cellar and they're hiding from the breathers above, okay? And that's what we hear. I mean, this is the monstrous force that we're concerned about the whole time is the breathers. And and so our little family of three, they are kind of locked up and chained below. They've got like, it's kind of like a hatch. It reminds me a lot of the hatch on Lost, and I'm sorry to um, provide negative associations with this film because I actually really like this film, and Lost is a freaking waste of time after season one. Okay, anyway, sorry. 
I know I just alienated a bunch of you, and I did it on purpose strictly because you love Lost. No love lost here. Get it? Anyways, I'll keep moving. You guys are hating me right now. It's almost 1 a.m., and I don't know where Dr. Shock is. I still don't know where Wolfman Josh is, and um, we're just going to proceed. So as I watch this film, the dad is very playful, okay? And he's very upbeat, and he's very positive. He's a jovial guy, and he tries his best to keep this little girl happy. As she's like something like eight or nine years old. She's pretty young. That's my guess. I'm terrible at guessing that. But this dad's efforts are so tender. And, and I mean, I got invested immediately because number one, I'm a father. And so what you think as you watch this movie, oh, this is actually real life. And, and, and what if this were my life? And, and that just made me so thankful for my life because I honestly was very engaged. I was kind of on the edge of my seat. And even though I'll tell people, this is kind of a slow burn type of movie, right? I just want people to know that out front. Uh, make sure you're well rested when you watch this. I'm not saying it's boring because it is not. But I'm saying that the pacing, like the action beats, let's call them, you know, they are mainly reserved for certain parts in the film. That's all I'll say about it. So uh, you just need to be patient, but you will enjoy yourself because it is thoroughly engaging. So I was engaged and I was really concerned for this family and really worried about it because honestly, I was dreading when things go south and things get bad. So I started thinking about this and I'm like, one of our self-defense mechanisms as viewers of horror cinema, at least for me, I've noticed is it's like, well, this is just fiction. You know, this isn't real. So these people aren't real. You know, these are just actors, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes when I get carried away that much, and I'm telling you, listeners, I was engaged on that level. I was thinking, you know, this is going to be okay. But then I realized, what if this is just a metaphor? Because actually this is real. Because those people who live in war-torn countries, like for example, you know, there are lots of refugees out there in the world right now, or I immediately thought of Anne Frank's family. You know, she wrote that diary about how her family, they were in hiding uh, from the Nazis and they were, you know, they were being hunted and they, their whole little family was hiding and they were hidden, just like the people in this movie. And so I started getting really upset as I was watching this film. I know people out there, you're probably thinking, okay, Jay needs to take some uh, medication, maybe take his Prozac or something. But that's how effective this film is. This is a testament to how effective this film is. I was very concerned. And then it started making me think about the broader picture of the world that I live in. It's like, no, there are not infected beings out to get me. I like, a, like, you know, to use the word in this film, I don't have breathers outside but there are very horrific and very sad situations like Anne Frank's family and these families are being hunted or they have to hide or, you know, these refugees have to escape. I mean, I'm not trying to get political. I'm just trying to say that there are families out there who are in similar circumstances as the family found in this movie. All right, I'll move on because that's kind of beating a dead horse. But of course, um, we see that they're kind of in this um, bomb shelter. It's like a little fallout shelter. 
um, that's near a school, and it was provided, you know, there. Apparently, the school had prepared it in case of this kind of a disaster, and this family was lucky enough to get in there. And that's really all I'll say about that. But um, they only have a finite amount of food, and they've been down there for a long time. You'll learn more about that in the film. But they're slowly running out of food. But still, I mean, the, these parents have... M- they're here, they're making do, they're trying to make it a home for this little nine-year-old girl, and um, they're just trying to make it the best possible experience. And so, as this film continues to unfold, I'm not going to go very much farther here with any kind of plot points or anything, because I really want you all to watch this, if you haven't yet. And by the way, the listeners who beat me to this and watched it before me, you were totally right. Thank you for recommending it. And um, P.S., I knew it was going to be good. But anyways, <laughs> it's very suspenseful. It's kind of uh, traumatic sometimes, a little bit. It's very tense, I should say. And then, no spoilers here, but when there's like about 25 minutes left, it starts to uh, go off the rails a little bit. And I got a little bit disappointed. I think it's a clever film. I think it's a smart film. But there were some of the things that they did that I was not pleased with. And no, I'm not talking about, you know, the big reveal or anything like that. I'm just talking about some of the convenience and contrivance of, um, you know, the things that occur. And that's really all I can say about it, obviously. So I don't want to go too much farther into it. But I'm telling you that Hidden from 2015, this film is um, directed by the Duffer brothers, This is worth your time, listeners. And of all the things that we reviewed on here tonight, at least all the things that I reviewed on here tonight, uh, which aren't many, this one is something you got to get to. And so I see that it's currently available. You can, you know, rent it and stream it on Amazon Video for $3.99. And it's definitely worth that. Is this movie a buy? Mm, No, I mean, I, I probably would not say buy it, but... It is the kind of film to have in your collection. Like if you're into infected movies, like if you like that subgenre, which I love it, by the way, then I think this is an interesting installment into the infected subgenre. I think it's one that you will want to show other horror fans and, you know, just kind of let them experience. It's it's the kind of movie where you want to watch it. And even though I don't think it has a ton of rewatch value you know, for you, I think it is the kind of movie that you'll want to watch with other people and kind of enjoy their reaction to the film itself. So I do predict, though, I will say about Hidden, I think it's going to be a little bit divisive. I think it's going to be one of those movies that you either really appreciate what they've done or you don't. And I think that, you know, probably 60% of people will love this, horror fans, and 40% of horror fans will not. So, um, Hidden from 2015, I'm giving this sucker a 7.5 out of 10. I'm calling it a strong rental recommendation, and I hope that you will check it out because it is definitely worth your time. I want to take a minute to talk to you about a new 2016 film called The Ones Below. 
And actually, it's very odd to talk about it on this podcast because um, uh, probably nobody in the world would consider this a horror movie, or very few people at least. I mean, even by my own TNA categorization system, <laughs> this would be a stretch. I mean, it's it would be, I guess, what you would call primal horror. You know what? I can't even I can't even call it a horror movie. I won't. And it kind of drives Wolfman Josh crazy when I do things like this. But honestly, sometimes when a movie is marketed as a horror film, or it seems so much like a horror film, I feel obligated to discuss it, at least briefly on this podcast, just so you're not tempted. <laughs> In case you're really looking for a horror film and you're like, oh, this is clearly a horror film. Okay, so it's called The Ones Below, and uh, let me just try to explain why it's not. So... When you look at the poster art, you know, you can see from that, it looks like it might be a little bit of creepiness there. Nothing too scary, obviously, but it has that vibe to it. It's a little dark, and it's kind of unsettling. You, you don't know exactly what's going on from the poster art. And then the premise on IMDb is, a couple expecting their first child discover an unnerving difference between themselves and the couple living in the flat below them who are also having a baby. This was written and directed by David Farr, and I tell you what, when I first read that premise, I'm like, oh, here's something I'm going to be interested in, because this seems really disturbing. It's classified on IMDb as a thriller, and I would call it a drama first. It's like 95% drama, a thriller second, maybe 4% thriller, and maybe 1% horror type elements <laughs> just so you know but basically this couple they're expecting a baby and they're really excited and then these new people live move in below them as i've discussed and um they're kind of weirdos um and even though they try to become friends that relationship becomes very strained and threatening and the weirdos below are also having a baby now i'll just tell you right up front as I said, this is mostly a drama, so we're not talking about supernatural elements. We're not talking about, like, demon seed babies or any possession kind of thing like that. We're just talking about real-life type of stuff. And I mentioned on my uh, other movie podcast that this could be an upsetting film for anyone who's had trials and tribulations associated with bearing children and having children in your family. So it could be a traumatic experience for someone like you if you fall into that category. But I was just going to mention to the Walking Dead fans out there, if you remember the character David Morrissey plays called... The governor, a lot of people enjoy that character from The Walking Dead. He actually plays the husband weirdo that lives downstairs. And of course, he is um, just as ominous and as threatening as ever as he is in The Walking Dead. Now, this is rated R for language, some sexuality, and nudity. And it is um, kind of an underwhelming film, to be perfectly honest. On Movie Podcast Weekly, I rated The Ones Below a 5.5 out of 10. I called it a rental, but honestly, um, that's just for people who are interested in all genres of films. It is a pretty heavy drama as far as that goes, and it's a little disturbing. I mean, it kind of sticks with you. You do think about it, but no, I would not classify this as a horror film, and even though they've really promoted it strongly as a thriller and it seems like it might be horror the ones below from 2016 is not 
So I've done my duty, and Wolfman Josh will be happy to know that I did not try to disparage or take anything away from the film due to its marketing. I just wanted to make sure that this audience was well aware of what genre this falls into. And just real quick, before we wrap up the show, I had a couple of emails I wanted to read. Um, My goal this year in 2016 is to get a lot better about the way we handle listener feedback, and uh, especially voicemails. But here's one from John. I actually um, wrote John back and emailed him directly just because I wanted him to get the answer as soon as possible to this question. But for anybody else, I I like to put this out there because it's uh, it's important to me. So John writes, Hey Jay, I've uh, really been nuts about Hammer Horror and sci-fi movies lately. I remember you mentioning a store in Las Vegas that has a good movie selection. I know I could order on Amazon, but I like being able to physically browse for more fun. If you could let me know its name, I would appreciate it. Thanks, John G. Okay, so... Um, I wrote back to John and said, that is Zia Record Exchange. There are actually a couple of those. It's it's actually a chain, right? It's in different cities. But I know Las Vegas has at least two locations. Uh, I always go to the location located on Eastern Avenue. It's 4225 South Eastern Avenue, Las Vegas, Nevada. And I would highly recommend it. That store is exceptional. They've got... a uh, I've I've said it before, they've got a great selection of basically music, and films, all genres, but the, the horror availability there is quite good, and I definitely recommend that if you're passing through Las Vegas, as I sometimes do, you must stop at Zia Record Exchange. Next, we get an email from Bonnie here, and I'm, I'm really sorry, Bonnie, for one thing, that I'm on here by myself right now, because I'm sure that Dr. Shock would have been a much better person to answer this question. But uh, here goes. And, and Bonnie, check the comments because if any of the listeners have seen this movie you're talking about, uh, then I'm sure that they'll let you know because they're very good about that. So Bonnie writes, Hi guys, I'm a recent addition to your listener audience and I will be a forever listener fan because I love all the episodes. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Bonnie. Anyway, my question is, have any of you guys seen the old made-for-Disney movies, Mr. Boogity or Boogity, (laughs) and Bride of Boogity? I rarely meet anyone who ever knows them, but I do know that they have a cult following now. I'd love to hear you guys do like a two-minute discussion of the two films, or just a little blip on them in a related podcast of some sort. Okay, Bonnie, so... I have zero experience with Mr. Boogity, and I'm sorry about that, but I, I did do a, a tiny bit of research here, and for those out there who are interested, this comes from um, Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, which I guess was um, a TV series, perhaps? That's how they're listing it here. It's from season 30, episode 11. I didn't even know Disney had such a long-running TV series, but the dates they have on this are 1954 to 1992. In this episode of uh, Mr. Boogity, actually aired on April 20th, 1986. So that's the era we're talking. Just for TV, it's rated PG. And uh, the premise is, a novelty salesman moves his family into a new house, initially dismissing incidents as more of their father's practical jokes. The family soon learns, though, that the house is haunted by people who lived in 
the house 300 years previously. It's directed by Oz Scott, written by Michael Janover. And so uh, this seems interesting. I mean, this, this seems like it'd be fun for kids. Um, I, I like stuff like that. I mean, the user review down there, uh, Drummer158 called it a good kids horror movie. And this person wrote, I remember watching this movie and being scared, but I also remember laughing a lot as well. The scary parts weren't so scary that I never wanted to see it again, though. Lucky for me, since it isn't offered on video, I had my mom tape it. Yes, VHS. This movie was great, and the sequel, Bride of Boogity, wasn't too bad either. Although I was a bit disheartened that Christy Swanson didn't play the role of Jennifer in both movies. A good movie to watch with kids for a quote-unquote scary movie night because it won't give them horrible nightmares. I give it eight stars. And so, um, yeah, it looks like, you know, from looking at the comments that this does have some love, and especially from Bonnie. And, you know, the cover art, it's a little sketchy, but it, it looks somewhat scary for a Disney type of production. So then in 1987, we had Bride of Boogity. <laughs> which is an hour and 33 minutes long. It's from season 31, episode 23, also directed by Oz Scott. And incidentally, Bride of Boogity, apparently, is streaming on Amazon Video for people who don't know. So for $2.99, you can check this out. And the premise is, a family with a great love for practical jokes is haunted by the family ghost, Mr. Boogity. Okay, and uh, once again, that makeup is a little sketchy <laughs> but uh, kind of interesting it kind of looks like a mask and so um, this person seemed a little bit less enthusiastic about this film but let me just double check and make sure Mr. Boogity isn't available um, streaming here yes I'm sorry I overlooked the fact that the original Mr. Boogity the first one we talked about is also streaming on Amazon for three bucks so um, that's something you know, I'll have to work that in, Bonnie. And um, my son loves Goosebumps and stuff like that. So I have to check it out. We, we actually, you know, even though we're sometimes we discuss pretty hardcore stuff on horror movie podcasts because we're dead serious about horror movies. Everybody knows this by now. But uh, <laughs> we do like to look for kid related horror movies, especially Josh. Josh seems to really love that stuff. Because um, we like to, you know, indoctrinate our children with these creepy little stories um, through these kind of movies. So thanks for bringing that to our attention, Bonnie. I will look into it. I'm making a note of this right now. And we are, in fact, going to be doing at some point a kind of a kids horror movie themed episode. I don't know if you're familiar with our themed episodes yet, but it sounds like you are. So we'll definitely have this on the list to work this in. Uh, my personal favorite kids horror movie, everybody knows it, say it with me, Monster House. That thing's a 10 out of 10, incredible. But anyways, just to finish out Bonnie's email here, she said, on that note, would you guys ever consider doing a podcast where each of you share your earliest horror movie experiences and the sense memories build up around them? Forgive me if this has already been done previously on the show, I love hearing people's earliest horror experiences because I think it's a relatable point and can also shed insight on your guys' preference for certain horror subgenres. Maybe also encourage listener participation in your comments. 
And um, that's from Bonnie B. So thank you, Bonnie, for writing. And actually, we have not covered that on Horror Movie Podcast, but back on the Horror Palace Network way back in the day, um, we had an interesting discussion. And actually, I'm just going to look this up because I believe I can tell you where to find this very episode. That's me. I showed up for work this time. I'm out here I'm serving the horror community, telling you where to find stuff. <laughs> I'm just messing. Okay, so our good friend Bill Shetty, he runs a site called Horror on the Go. And he's actually got like this archive page where you can find, you know, previous shows that he's released. And since Horror Palace was uh, his baby, he ended up getting the uh, Horror Palace special episodes, of course. He owns those. So if you go to horrorontheGo.com, and I'll have that linked in the show notes, and then you go at the top, it says catalog under audio shows, and then you go to previous podcasts. I'm telling you how to navigate there, Bonnie. And then if you scroll down to Horror Palace specials, it's that first one, episode one, where Bill Shetty did this thing where it was a 12 horror host interview of like their background into horror. And we talked about these same kinds of things right here, like exactly what you described. Um, I was a part of that, as was Terror Tovey. And uh, probably Josh, seems like Josh would have been there. And uh, Dr. Shock, of course. So I, yeah, I think our crew is mostly represented there. Um, but it's like a 12-way background and people talk about those kind of things. So you can actually download that episode. It was released in December of 2011. It is worth your time. Super long episode, but very interesting. And I got one more trick up my sleeve. On the same page, if you scroll down to Planet Macabre, which to me is still my favorite horror podcast of all time. And by the way, Bill Shetty has all 16 of those episodes available there if you want to download them. I haven't plugged Planet Macabre in a long time, but that's where Dr. Shock started out. Amazing. So in their episode one there, which was released in December of 2010, uh, they did like this introduction and their favorite, you know, picks as hosts. And they talk about, you know, the things that scare them and stuff. And that's actually a really good episode as well. So I would highly recommend those two episodes for you, Bonnie. Um, and I, you know, I just got to be honest with you, Bonnie. I'm going to be disappointed if you don't listen to those two <laughs> shows because they're incredible. Now, um, to your point, we do need to cover something like this on Horror Movie Podcast. And, you know, as I think about it, actually, if you go back to episode one of Horror Movie Podcast, which I think is like four hours long. <laughs> yeah, I believe it is. That, that had... um. Let's see. I'm going to pull it up right here. Episode one of Horror Movie Podcast is where we talked about the horror genre and our top 10 favorite horror movies. And um, that's got me, Jay of the Dead. It also has Wolfman Josh. And then our fourth co-host, um, you probably haven't heard him on here yet. He's kind of rare, but his name is Kyle Bishop, Dr. Walking Dead. And we actually go through and discuss all sorts of aspects to the genre, and this is another kind of introductory type of, but 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 really we theorize and um, kind of analyze the genre itself. But you'll get a lot of our like subjective experience in there as well. So those three episodes, and that's like four hours. So but between these three episodes that I'm talking about, 
I mean, you're probably looking at like 10 hours of podcasts, but uh, I would highly recommend all three of those. And I hope you will check those out, Bonnie, because it's worth your time. So I'll link Horror on the Go in the show notes, and um, I'll even include some instructions for you on how to get there. So I appreciate your email. Thanks for writing in. We're grateful for you, and we're grateful for John G. as well. So here's something for you, a little piece of news for those who were followers of the first incarnations of this podcast, namely the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis. If you know those titles and you know what those are all about, then you'll remember our days with the Horror Palace Network. And back on the Horror Palace Network, there were a number of great podcasts, and one of those was called The Cutting Room. If you remember that, it initially started out as a horror podcast on that network, and then at one point, they just decided that even though they loved the horror genre, it was a little bit too restrictive, and they wanted to talk about all genres of movies. And so they kind of, um, you know, parted ways amicably from the network and went on to do a full-blown, you know, movie podcast of that just covers everything. They still covered some horror once in a while, but really um, just anything from new release cinema to classic cinema. They even reviewed things like Duck Soup for people who know what that is. But uh, it, it, tremendous podcast. These guys are really talented. A lot of fire. You know what I mean? Like when you listen to them, you can tell they're all super smart um, and very talented. Uh, I'd highly recommend checking out the Cutting Room movie podcast. You can find it at christianaproductions.com forward slash cutting room. But what I wanted to say was just recently, I guess in April, was their 103rd episode released, 103. And then just um, on June 1st, they just put up a blog post announcing that all good things must come to an end. And so after, I guess it's like four years, (laughs) or probably longer than four years, you know, um, the cutting room is hanging it up and they're calling it quits and they're going in a different direction. So, I just wanted to take a moment and kind of update everybody who is familiar with the Horror Palace Network, especially if you knew The Cutting Room, because um, honestly, the podcast is so good. Uh, Like, they didn't say anything about taking down this site, but eventually, you know how those things go. I mean, unless they got their own hosting, eventually these, these episodes will come down, and you've got 103 very good episodes here, and, you know, um, I'm probably going to download them all myself and just save them, because this is uh, tremendous content here, and I highly recommend it. So that is The Cutting Room, and as I said, it's all genres, the majority of it, but the first, I don't know, 20 or 30 episodes were strictly horror, so Uh, Go check them out because these guys are fiery and very talented. So long live the Cutting Room movie podcast. It will be missed. Rest in peace. Okay, in a moment, I'm going to go to our usual outro, which I recorded previously with Dr. Shock himself. So he'll be back here in just a moment. But I do want to just take a, a real quick moment to thank everyone in the horror movie podcast community. We do this weird thing. For those who don't know, 
I own two podcast shows. It's Horror Movie Podcast is my baby, and my other baby is uh, Movie Podcast Weekly. They're sister shows, and they they actually share the same hosting and the same blah, 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 like everything, all the media files, like everything comes out of the same kitty, so to speak, which is my bank account. So, um, <laughs> so, so when people donate to this show, um, you're supporting horror movie podcasts, but also supporting movie podcasts weekly and vice versa, because they basically do not exist without each other. And so we have a lot of people who are donating intentionally to movie podcasts weekly as well. And so I just want to thank everybody who donates to both. And honestly, I try to remember to read these on both shows. I always thank the people who donate on at least one of the shows, but I try to do it on both shows because I don't know in particular who is donating for what show because you might have intended strictly to donate to one or the other. And so I want to make sure that you're hearing me say thank you and how grateful I am. So I want to give a shout out to Lee from Canada for a generous donation. Thank you very much. I know Lee listens to Movie Podcast Weekly, but I also just wanted to put it out there um, just in case Lee also ventures over here as well. And then we got a lot of other great supporters, like for example, um, Scott C., who was very generous. And Scott C. specifically said he was donating to Horror Movie Podcast. So thank you, Scott, for your support. I mean, I'm telling you, this show stays in existence for two reasons. Number one, because you all care about it. You actually listen and you let us know you listen. And so that makes us want to do it. It makes it fun. And number two, you help me with the cost of producing it. And believe it or not, it is expensive. So thank you. Other donors want to thank are Lance from Provo, Christian, Vance, Eric E., Joshua G., Patrick H., Mario L., Shannon N., Amos P., Hans from Sweden, and Adam M. I also want to thank Juan. I want to thank Phil. And I want to thank um, all our friends who take the time to support us in the community. So um, maybe some of this will be redundant. I hope not. But I think at this point, I'll turn it over to our usual outro with my good friend, Dr. Shock. Okay, well, that just about wraps up episode 90 of Horror Movie Podcast. I'm here with uh, Dr. Shock once again for the wrap up. We, um, as usual, we recorded this episode in pieces, which is how we do. But anyway, uh, um, I've been talking over on Movie Podcast Weekly and on Geekcast Live. We've been talking about finally, finally for real, putting together a meetup. And so we're looking at September. We're looking at either the weekend of uh, September 9th or the following weekend, September 16th. Uh, just let us know how you feel about that. We're talking about meeting up in like Indiana <laughs> and, and not too far from Chicago, but um, Geekcast Rye has this Irish pub um, that's a great little place, he says, that you know would accommodate such a meetup and oh. could be a really good time. And it's not that far from Chicago, so we could potentially head up to Chicago for some adventures as well. So let us know if you're interested in that. Um, we're really pulling it together and happy about that. Also, Dr. Shock, I wanted to plug you and I uh, this upcoming weekend as we record this. It'll already be 
pretty much said and done by the time this episode releases, but we are recording a really in-depth interview of you about your DVD infatuation, and I think it's going to be great. I hope people will check it out. I will get it posted later this upcoming week, but I will eventually link it in the show notes for this episode. I think this particular episode 90 will beat it, but it'll be released over on Movie Podcast Weekly, and you can hear all about Dr. Shock's DVD infatuation. It's going to be a really cool interview. Trust me on that. And my only other plug, Dr. Shock, is just for people to check out Movie Podcast Weekly, which is the clown car of movie podcasting. What do you got, Dave? Same as always, got DVDinfatuation.com. I'm heading up by the time, uh, well, not by the time this goes out, but by the next time we record, I'm going away. Um, I will not be around for the next show, but by the time I come back, I will have my less than a year to go. Monday, June 20th is going to mark uh, one year left where I have exactly 365 more movies to go before I reach 2,500. <laughs> so that's sort of a big day, but I still have a year to go. <laughs> it might not seem with when you look at the, the total package, it's not that much, but yeah, it's still a year, still 365 more movies plus a few more at this point. You'll so make I, it. I'll, no, I'll make it. I'm not, that part, it doesn't seem, I mean, it'd be almost, it'd be almost comical not to make it at this point. <laughs> I haven't come this far, but uh, you check me out on Twitter at DVD Infatuation. Um, I've been sort of switching things up over there. If you're like following me there uh, regularly, you're noticing that I'm putting screenshots now with every single tweet. Cool. Um, it takes a little time to do that. Um, I haven't been able to do retweets as much and respond to people as much as I. I mean, I was never that great before. I was always a little slow, but now it's getting even more because not only do I have to now find a picture to put on every single tweet? And I have, you know, in my arsenal that I have in this file, I have somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty to 30,000. So I'm just going to be doing this over time. I'm not doing it all at once. Mm-hmm. But I also have to remove 25 characters from every tweet to make room for the picture. Right. And that's a pain in the neck. <laughs> yes, sir. Because some of them I've taken right up to like one or two left. And I'm like, how am I going to drop this down? And it gets a little bit difficult at times. <laughs> Um, to try and find it to say so that it still makes sense um, and it's still worth putting out there. So anyway, so check me out there. I have a Facebook page and over on the Land of the Creeps um, where uh, things are going uh, th- going well. We're getting towards the end of our 1920s um, and pretty soon we're going to be heading into the 1930s and I have a feeling we're going to be there for a very long time. All right, buddy. Well, thanks, Dr. Shock. We'll have it linked in the show notes for this episode. And of course, we love your comments. That's right. So make sure you get involved in the horror movie podcast community and keep them coming. You can leave a comment in the show notes or email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. We also have a voicemail, which works now. It's 801-382-8789. We have a back archive of the weekly horror movie podcast, which has 26 excellent episodes, and Horror Metropolis, which only has 10 excellent episodes and then all 90 episodes of horror movie podcast at horrormoviepodcast.com please subscribe free in itunes and if you don't mind leave us a review there as well you can follow us on twitter at horror movie cast and if you want to support this show what we do then you're welcome to Leave us a PayPal donation over at moviepodcastweekly.com. I know it's weird, but yes, it goes to contributing to the vitality of this show. 
want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find Frederick Ingram at frederickingram.com, and that'll be linked in the show notes. And I think that's it for episode 90. I hope the Wolfman, Josh Legary, is okay. I hope no silver bullets have overtaken him. We thank you for listening, and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Horror Movie Podcast.